Hi, everybody. Welcome to the She Said What podcast with your host, Alyssa Harper. Today, we're going to be talking about overthinking. And this can look so different for everybody. This can be you overthinking what you think about yourself and overthinking negative thoughts about yourself. It can be you overthinking about other people and what they think of you and what they're saying about you. This can be you overthinking your future. Like This can look like so many different things, but we're going to touch on all of that today. We're going to talk about what you can actually do in that situation when you are overthinking how you can address that thought and move on and change your focus, not only for today, but how these steps that I'm going to take you through can actually train your brain long-term to not automatically think negatively. And you're going to finish this podcast and you're going to have an actual plan in place. So the next time you have this overthinking happening, you are going to be able to work through it practically step-by-step. So let's get into it. Right. First things first, we are going to do the very honest thought segment of this week. And this one's going to be quick. I'm just going to be sharing with you guys something that actually came up yesterday because my husband and I go to counseling together, which has been an amazing experience, by the way. I think there's less shame these days around going to counseling in general, but I think couples counseling, stuff like that, there still seems to be a lot of shame around it because people then just make assumptions like, oh, you guys aren't happy together or uh oh, like, Like, you know, this isn't going to end well, but if anything, it has made us so strong. It has helped us so much individually, as well as being a couple together. It's helped us learn more about each other, like love each other, have a better like sex life, like romantic life, everything. So if you are in a relationship, by the way, and you've been feeling like you think you guys need to go to counseling together, honestly, I could not recommend it anymore. Anyways, that's not what I'm sharing with you guys. I want to share with you guys something that came up yesterday in counseling for me is I realized that I am very much someone who likes to like work on myself. Obviously, I'm very like self-improvement, self-development, self-care. Like I'm very much that girl. Okay. But what is interesting about that is I am the one who's choosing what I'm working on. Like when I sit down to journal in the morning, a lot of the time I'm sitting there and I'm writing down like things I want to see in a friend or (laughs) how I visualize my future in a year or two years from now, like that kind of stuff. (laughs) Whereas sometimes you need to go and get an outside opinion so they can tell you, honey, here's what you actually need to work on. So my self-development, my growth just went from being really like cute and like aesthetic and like, you know, Instagram worthy to like me being kind of annoyed at my counselor because she's telling me what I need to hear, you know? So sometimes real growth doesn't look like something you want to put on your stories, but that's okay. And that's something I would definitely encourage in you guys is if this is something you really struggle with overthinking, by the way, is what I'm talking about. If you guys properly struggle with this, like y'all are having anxiety attacks, the whole deal, which I've been there. So that's why I'm quite relaxed with the subject. But if you're full on in that space, I would recommend going to see a counselor for sure. Like if you need to have someone really keep you accountable and working on this, a lot of the time that's what a counselor is going to do. I can tell you right now all the things that my counselor took me through. And part of this is that when it came to working through my anxiety, but 
you might need someone to keep you accountable. You might need someone to sit there and see, okay, are there any deeper issues that are going on that we need to address? Things that you might not see on your own. And that's something I really wanted to tell you guys as well in this podcast. So I guess this was a good little segue, but make sure that if this is something that you've been struggling with for a while, or it's really intense to the point that it's stopping you from doing a lot of things in your life that you do go see professional help. Because of course, one podcast might not solve the problem for you as a whole. It might give you really helpful tips. Like you might leave today, which I I'm confident that you will leave today, feeling more confident in working through this area on your own, but you might need more help than that. So please just be aware of that. All right. So when it comes to overthinking, we're obviously going to be talking about overthinking the negative. Like when you are saying, oh my gosh, I'm overthinking about this, 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 you are saying it's the negative things. Obviously, if it was the positive thing, we wouldn't be here because that would be amazing. But a lot of the time it's going to be the negative things that we just find we get into that like loop of negative thinking about. So that's the first thing I want to clarify. When I say negative thoughts, I'm just talking about overthinking. I'm just going to be kind of changing those in and out throughout the podcast. Secondly, I think there's a big misconception around overthinking where people just think, oh my God, I want these thoughts to stop. Like, I just want to silence my thoughts. And so people go, okay, I'm going to go meditate and I'm going to try to silence my brain. And as much as I think meditation is amazing, and as much as I think, you know, doing things to clear your mind, like going on a run or getting out and changing something about your physiology so that you can potentially shift your mindset is helpful and are really good tools to use. I don't think that the goal should be that we silence our thoughts. I think that the goal should be that we change the negative thought to become a positive thought. Because if we are getting ourselves out of that situation and we're going on a run or you know we're sitting down and we're meditating, that's amazing, but we haven't solved the problem. So the next time you're triggered to think that same negative thought again, it's going to be the same process. You're going to have to fight it as much as you can. You're going to have to do something to get out of the situation again. Whereas what we want to do is create a plan for you that is going to help you long-term. And it's actually going to change the narrow pathways in your brain so that your brain learns to think positively automatically. So yes, use those things like going on a walk, going on a run, meditating, getting up out of your bedroom, going to talk to someone, FaceTiming a friend. Use all of those little things to help you break how you're feeling in that moment. But then we have to do the hard work and actually work on that thought. For you guys to see the value and why we want to do this, I want to touch on neuroplasticity like properly and explain to you what that actually means. So neuroplasticity is the brain's ability to reorganize itself by forming new neural connections throughout your life. So neuroplasticity allows the neurons, your nerve cells in the brain to compensate for injury, disease, and to adjust their activities in response to new situations or to new changes in the environment or the way that you're thinking. So you can actually go in to your little brain and you can adjust the way that it adapts to things and the way it takes things in. So that's what we're doing here. We're literally teaching your brain to perceive these situations that come up in your life as opportunities for growth rather than things that are going to pull you down. And not only are we saying this in a sense of, you know, this is what we want to see happen, but this is what actually physically changes in your brain. 
which is so incredible to me. When I first fully understood this whole concept and how it actually works in the brain, it was so empowering for me because it really meant like, I have the power, like I hold the power. A lot of the time with overthinking, we just feel so out of control. But I want you to know right now, like you have the power to change your mindset. That's why people talk about growth mindsets versus fixed mindsets, because a growth mindset would say, this is an opportunity. A fixed mindset would go, wow, this always happens to me. I'm always the person who comes in last. And it's very limiting. So not only can we carve out new pathways in our own brains, we can use repetition and practice to strengthen the pathways. So that is how your brain thinks automatically and it becomes a habit for your brain. One last thing I want to add to really hopefully inspire you to want to work on this for yourself is that this is going to help you become more self-aware of your thoughts and your feelings, which is going to affect you immensely. It affects how you treat yourself, how you treat other people, and ultimately where we end up in the world. Like we only do the things that we believe we can do. For example, if an amazing job opportunity comes up, but you don't think you'd be good enough, or you have to public speak for it, for example, and you already have thought and you've decided, oh, I hate public speaking. I can't do it. So you just rule it out and you don't even, you know, try to get the job in the first place because you don't think you can overcome those things. Or another example, if you get invited out with friends, but you just don't go because you think, oh, people don't want to hang out with me. People don't like me in those situations. I get really awkward. I say the wrong things like that. Those people don't like me anyways. And you just rule things out of your life and you don't accept things. You don't take the things that are there in front of you that are opportunities for you because you have this closed fixed mindset where you overthink so much about all these things in your life to the point that you limit yourself. Isn't that crazy that you really hold the power in all of these things? And I think sometimes when I step back and I just think like, oh my gosh, the fact that there are so many things I could do, but I don't do it solely because of what I think about myself Like that is ridiculous. So I really hope you guys take these things on and you use them to move forward in this area because genuinely this has changed my life and I know has changed so many other people's lives as well. I am going to be following a specific journal that I recently um, received from Therapy Notebooks, but the actual notebook is called the Anti-Anxiety Notebook. It's using cognitive behavioral therapy, which is something that was introduced to me over a year ago and before I even had this journal. So this is an example of a journal that's very helpful and they have it all laid out for you. Um, There are other journals like it and you guys can also just do it on your own. So if you have a pen and paper, you can do this. So don't feel like you're limited at all by not having this journal, but I'm going to be using it just because they lay it out really well. Um, And they have some other features in here that I really like as well that again, I'll tell you ways that you can find it without having to purchase anything just in case that's an issue. Um, Otherwise, of course, I would recommend using the journal because it's what I personally use to go through this practice. So there are five questions here that we'll go through. These questions have been laid out by a lot of different therapists in a lot of different ways. Another way I've seen it is automatic negative thoughts. So if you've ever heard of that, that's another um, version of this type of therapy, I guess you could say. But I literally, over a year ago, I went to a therapist and she used this exact technique with me. So this isn't just some random journal. This is me relaying basically information that comes from 
qualified therapists who really know what they're on about. So that's what we're going to go through. So let's start with question number one, which picture you have something going on. Maybe you have something. Think of something. This would be really helpful actually right now for you to go through as well. Think of something that has been a negative thought for you recently or something that your brain always goes to, something you assume about yourself, something you don't like about yourself, something you're scared about in your future, something that has caused overthinking in the past. So the first thing we do is we write down number one, what happened? This isn't necessarily what's the thought. This is what happened to maybe cause that thought. Think of maybe the last time it happened. What triggered that thought? What were you doing? Were you hanging out with people? Um, did you did someone say something to you? Were you in a certain situation? Like what happened? We want to be as specific as possible here because first of all, we want to be able to jog our memories. And second of all, we want to potentially be able to highlight some triggers because if we know our triggers, then we can potentially if we need to take ourselves out of those situations or just be aware when we are in those situations that this could happen again. And then number two, what we write down is what is going through your mind? Was I feeling like stressed? Like, was I, am I angry at that person right now? What's going through my mind? Number three, is what emotions are you feeling? And this one is so important. This one has really helped me because I think for sure when it comes to overthinking and anxious thoughts, feeling really anxious or even depressed, a lot of the time when it comes to how we are feeling, we just feel like, oh, I'm so stressed out or like, oh, I feel crazy. But you don't pinpoint it to one specific emotion. Whereas I think it's so helpful if you can ask yourself like specifically, what are you feeling? Are you feeling embarrassed? Are you feeling frustrated? Are you feeling disappointed? All of those things feel actually quite different in comparison to if you were to just say, oh, I feel crazy, you know? So one thing that they have in this journal that really helps you, it's called the feelings wheel, which if you Google images feelings wheel, you will also find lots there. So do that. Or you can go to their Instagram page where they actually have the feelings wheel on their Instagram, which of course will be um, linked in the description for this podcast. But I'm going to flip to it now so I can read some of it to you guys just to give you some examples. But basically, for example, fear. So you say, okay, I'm scared. Okay, great. Let's break it down. From there, they break it down to horror, nervous, insecure, terror, scared. And then from there, they break it down once more into the third section of this wheel. And there's dread, mortified, anxious, worried, inadequate, inferior, hysterical, panic, helpless, and frightened. And do you see how having all of those descriptive words can help you really pinpoint, oh, wow, like in that moment, I actually feel insecure. It's not that I'm like oh, scared of something happening. I'm just genuinely just insecure about myself. It's likely going to be a negative emotion if this is something you're overthinking about. And that's kind of where we're going off of this from. I want to talk as well about the despair section of the wheel as well, because this one has been so helpful to me. So there's the original one that you'd go to the middle of the circle where it says despair. Then the next bracket out, they have suffering, sadness, disappointed, shameful, neglected, despair. Again, all of those are all great that they're so different, especially in the disappointed, shameful, neglected. I feel like those ones are really good to pinpoint. Or if you want to break it down once more, you can see agony, hurt, depressed, sorrow, dismayed, displeased, regretful, guilty, isolated, lonely, grief, or powerless. And again, like... These are all so much better at describing how you might be feeling 
in comparison to just saying, oh, I feel sad because it really helps you address it properly. And if you can look at your journals over time and go, wow, there's a lot of times where I feel guilty or there's a lot of times that I've written down that I feel inadequate, then that gives you something to work on. You can actually go, okay, I actually have an issue with feeling guilt around a lot of things. And you can address that specifically. And how much better is that than just feeling like, oh, I'm constantly trying to work on my anxiety. And you're sitting here and you're Googling like how to not be anxious, like anxiety methods, like ways to not be anxious. And you're blindly trying to solve the problem instead of having specific things that you can actually practically work on, which will actually give you results. Another way we can really understand this situation rather than just being stressed about it or judging ourselves about it is we can use number four, which is what thought patterns do you recognize? And this is using a list of ways of thinking that have been recognized through cognitive behavioral therapy. I will list them out to you. They are obviously here in the journal, but you can also just look them up online. These ways of thinking are also known as cognitive distortions. So if you Google that and then you go to Google Images, you will find a whole bunch of resources there that are completely free sitting there for you. And you want to have access to each of these cognitive distortions in the, just the titles of them every time you do this journal because you don't want to assume you're doing one of them every time. You want to have access to all of them so you can recognize potentially when you are actually getting better at not doing some of them or you've taken up new ones, which will make sense when I explain them. So of course you can either just write them out in your own journal or you can print out one of these resources, whatever you think is going to work for you. Do that. So just before I go through all of these ways of thinking, I'm going to tell you what step number five is so we can actually do it in practice. So step number five is how can you think about the situation differently? So as I go through these ways of thinking, I'm going to give you an example and I'm going to give you an example of reframing it. And I'm going to use the examples from um, the journal, just so you know. I didn't come up with all of these, but these are from the journal. And this is how they explain each of these ways of thinking. The reason I'm also doing it from the journal is not because I'm lazy and I don't want to come up with my own, but I want it to be very accurate to how a therapist would see it. Because of course, I am not a trained professional therapist, but I can definitely relay this information to you clearly and give you my little, my little spice on it, okay? Number one is all or nothing thinking. So sometimes it's called polarized thinking or black and white thinking. And basically it leaves you to perceive things that are extreme. So it removes the middle ground and it removes any room for mistakes or just, you know, it was just a mistake. It's like all or nothing thinking. So it's either or terms. And it's instead of saying, you know, someone you know, is sometimes lazy, sometimes productive. You think of a lot of people as they're either amazing or you hate them. (laughs) They are hardworking or they're lazy. They're delightful or they're intolerable. And an example of this is I ate ice cream today, so I've ruined my diet completely. Or the example of reframing is even while dieting, I can have foods that I enjoy purely for their taste. And it gives you back that middle ground. Number two, is blaming others. So unlike self-blaming, which is another one of them, which will come up after, this one involves holding other people entirely accountable for negative situations and negative outcomes. So if something happens, it's like, it's all their fault. It's all other people's fault. It just, it 
it isn't taking ownership for what's happening. So an example is my dinner got burned because my husband left the kitchen a mess and I couldn't find anything I needed. But an example of reframing this is, yes, my husband left the kitchen a mess and I'm going to talk to him later about cleaning up after himself better, but I could have tidied up what space I needed and the things I needed before starting dinner. Number three is catastrophizing, which your girl struggles with this one the most, I can say. (laughs) Catastrophizing is thinking about disastrous possibilities based on a relatively small observation or event. It can lead to believing that the worst case scenario is the one that will play out. Wow. Yeah. Look. That's me. An example of this is I botched that part of the interview. They probably will go with someone more qualified than me. I'll never get a job in my field and my student debt will have been for nothing. Okay, that's an example of catastrophizing. Now you know what it's like to live in my brain. An example of reframing is I think I answered that question poorly in the interview but I feel good about some other responses. Hopefully this works out, but I will still have options even if it doesn't. Wow, isn't that so relaxing to read? God, that's where that's my goal. That's how I want to think. So that's one I'm definitely working on, just so you guys know. I think everyone has one that they can work on. I really do think that everyone has something, just so you know. So it, they might change as time goes on. You might struggle with ones at different times. But that's why this is such a good tool to have now and to learn about now. So if you get you know, really good at this now, but then in five years from now or even 10 years from now, you are noticing that you're overthinking a lot or you're having issues with anxiety or whatever it is, you have this like ready in your brain to use and you already can identify things within yourself and you're so much better, you're so much in tune with your emotions. Like that is such a tool that so many people don't have. Okay, number four is emotional reasoning. So this one can be summed up as, if I feel that way, it must be true. So when you are struggling with emotional reasoning, you accept your emotional reaction as an automatic indicator of reality. It's believing that something is true just because you feel that way about it. So for example, I feel angry because my friend is treating me unfairly. But an example of reframing it would be, I've been feeling really tired and upset today because of a few things at work. I should probably take a few deep breaths or go on a walk or do something to chill out. So just because you are showing anger towards someone doesn't mean that that's the thing that's actually making you angry and doesn't mean that you have almost like the right to even be super angry about that specific thing, that could just be the thing that's setting you off if you already generally don't feel good in that moment or that day. Like if you've ever been in an argument and you've said to someone, well, obviously I'm upset, so obviously you did something, that's emotional reasoning. The next one is fortune telling. So it's just telling the future, obviously, about your situation. It's just assuming what's going to happen. It's saying, you know, I'm not going to bother going there because they always do this or they always say this, or I'm not going to apply for that job because I never get jobs. And you're just assuming what's going to happen. So an example is the last relationship only lasted two months. This one probably will too. But an example of reframing this is I'm going to do my best to do what I feel is right for this new relationship, regardless of how long it lasts. Number six is labeling. So this one is an extension of overgeneralization, which is going to come up after, but 
It's based on a small amount of evidence. So putting labels on things and creating inaccurate views about people, places, and things around us. So for example, I sent the invitation to the wrong person. I'm so stupid. But an example of reframing that is, okay, you know what? I made a mistake and I sent the invitation to the wrong person. And yeah, I feel embarrassed. And that's the thing with reframing it. You're not always going to end it by saying like, everything's fine. I'm so happy. La la la. Like sometimes it's not this amazing outcome, but it's, it's being able to reframe it. So it's, it fits within reality. So no, you're not stupid. You did make a mistake and it's okay to feel embarrassed, but you aren't stupid and you don't need to label yourself because of one mistake. Number seven is magnifying the negative. So it can also be referred to as filtering um, or tunnel vision. I've seen it called before, but magnifying the negative really fixates our thoughts on only the negative of the situation. So it's dwelling on the fears, the losses, the irritations become, they become so exaggerated in importance and the positive parts of the situation is not given fair consideration. So an example of this is, I can't believe I included a typo in my email. They're definitely going to reject my request. But an example of reframing it is, I had a typo in my email, but my meaning is still clear. So it's really just being objective and being able to step back and see the good and the negative in a situation. It's not saying, oh, only the positive, but it's about being able to look at the situation realistically and from a fair point of view. Number eight is mind reading. So mind reading is about making assumptions about what other people are thinking and feeling. So again, it's similar to fortune telling, but it's important that we distinguish between the two of them because fortune telling has to do with telling the future of what's going to happen. Whereas mind reading is assuming what another person is thinking. And those are two very different habits. You can't assume what someone else is thinking. And this will come up definitely in arguments that you have with people. So mind reading is a big one when it comes to how you actually interact with other people, a lot of the time our assumptions are inaccurate and we have to step aside from our ego and realize that. Like you can't just say to someone, well, obviously I'm going to think that because you know, you've done that in the past and blah, 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 blah. Yes. Like you have a right to feel that way and to voice that, but you can't assume for sure, 100% truth that they are always going to be thinking the same thing over and over and over. Cause obviously if you want to have a growth mindset for yourself, you need to believe in growth mindsets for other people. So if people are saying they are changing, they're moving forward, they're working on this. All you can do is believe them. You cannot assume that they are lying or they don't care. Obviously, yes, have boundaries and hold people accountable to their word and understand if something happens to you over and over and over from the same person. Yes, it's okay to think that that might happen again. But generally, you want to think the best of people. And from another perspective as well, sometimes we do it in the other way where we assume that people are going to think the worst. And we don't set boundaries with people because we think, oh, they're going to think I'm annoying. Like just because you feel like you are being annoying and asking something and you think that about yourself doesn't mean that that person is going to automatically respond with, oh, they're so annoying or they're going to think that because you don't know what they're going to think. Anyways, I went off a little bit (laughs) on that one, but mind reading is a big one for sure. An example of this is the cashier must think I'm some weirdo for wearing this outfit to the store. But an example of reframing this is I feel a bit self-conscious of my outfit, but others may not notice or care. And they probably don't notice or care because we always think people care a lot more about how we look and what we're doing than they do. 
no one really cares that much, to be honest. <laughs> Saying that though, if you guys do struggle with this, because I used to, it's called the spotlight effect. Like if you're ever in a room and you feel like people are watching you or like you're hyper aware of like how you're sitting or what you're doing or your facial expressions, all those things like that anxiety that that can cause, it is real. So I'm not invalidating it at all. Please go look into that specifically because there are really helpful things that can get you through that. Or of course, I could always make a podcast about it. So let me know if you guys want that. Number nine is minimizing the positive. So again, obviously similar to magnifying the negative, but minimizing the positive is kind of more so that you're denying that there is positive in the situation. So specifically, this means ignoring the value or the importance of the positive as well. So for example, anybody could have done what I did. They're just being nice to compliment me for it. Oof. Or an example of reframing is I did something that people find valuable and praiseworthy, which is true. So that's awesome. Number 10 is overgeneralization. So overgeneralization is where you draw broad conclusions based off of just one piece of evidence. So this thought pattern is often based on the assumption that one bad experience means that whether you're in a similar situation or not, the bad experience will repeat itself. So you can often identify over overgeneralizations by looking for words that imply absolutes in a situation. So something, when you say the words like all or none or never or always, this one also very much affects how you interact with people and specifically how you fight with people. If you look at someone in your life and you say, you always do this, you always screw up, you always say this, you never pull through, likely that's not true. Likely this person doesn't always do these things. They're not likely always lazy or always saying the wrong things or never complimenting you. A lot of the time, that's just you making overgeneralizations. I've been having a hard time with that word today. Overgeneralizations because that's how you feel in that moment. And that can also be combined with emotional reasoning because I don't know if I said this earlier, but obviously sometimes in these situations, it's more than one way of thinking. Like it might be minimizing the positive plus self-blaming, or it might be overgeneralization plus all or nothing thinking or emotional reasoning, for example. So sometimes you combine a few of them. Okay. Number 11 is self-blaming. So it's known sometimes as personalization. Um, and this distortion involves believing that you are entirely responsible for a negative situation. So even factors that are outside of your control, you still blame them on yourself. Another way that people outwork this sometimes is they assume that what other people do or say is a reaction to you. So it's not just them doing their thing, saying what they want. They are constantly reacting to you. So you kind of just feel like everything is your fault. So an example of this is I was late to hanging out with my friend and ruined what would have otherwise been a good time. But an example of reframing that is I wish I hadn't been late, but it happens sometimes and I'm not fully responsible for how she felt because obviously people can control their emotions as well. And in situations like that, you should be able to move on. Of course, if you are always late to hanging out with your friend, like genuinely always late, then there's some ownership that potentially needs to take place there. And there can be some blame that needs to go on you, but self-blaming is where you really believe that you are solely the one responsible for all of the bad things that are happening. 
All right, number 12 is should statements. And this is a huge one. I used to like, this was my number one struggle. And I have a lot of friends where they've struggled with this as well. I feel like the whole, just the word should in general just needs to be removed. It just needs to be removed because basically should statements involves creating narrow and inflexible rules about how you and other people should behave. So specifically, it means believing that you or other people should or must act a certain way. And if they do not, um, they would be judged as faulty or wrong in some way. So this one, really imposes a set of expectations that will very likely not be met and it makes you feel guilty or it makes you blame the other person um, or when you break them, you get really angry either towards yourself or towards other people. An example of this is, I shouldn't have been so upset with her. I should have been more calm and understanding. But an example of reframing this is, it's understandable that I felt hurt and it is helpful to communicate that. So next time I will try to approach the situation more calmly. So again, it's still recognizing that it's okay to feel hurt. It's okay that you have things you need to communicate, but next time you're going to make sure you actually communicate them and you approach the situation more kindly and calmly. Another big area where I see this is people saying that they have a hard time saying no to doing things for other people. As much as you want to set a boundary and you don't want to do the thing, in the back of your mind, you can't stop thinking, oh, but I should help them or they've done this for me. That means I should do this for them. And anytime you're using the word should, there's likely going to be some guilt or something behind there that needs to be addressed. So those are the 12 cognitive distortions. As I went through them, you probably recognized, oh, I do that one sometimes, or mm, that one doesn't quite sound like me, but that's good because that means you probably already know yourself quite a bit. I'm telling you guys, that is so interesting when you actually start journaling these things and writing these things down and recognizing the ones that you do. Not only can you recognize that you do it and it's something that you can work on, but you'll start to notice yourself doing it more in the moment as well. And as much as you want to make sure that you're making the time to go and journal and write this all out and actually properly work on this, at the same time, you want to be able to do this on the spot. And the more you do it in writing and you properly do it and you get used to using it, like actually using it as a practice, the better you'll be at doing it in the small moments. One tip that I got from the journal was that it said to use this short version, which is catch it, check it change it. So you catch the thought like, okay, I'm thinking this. Where did that thought come from? Oh my gosh. You catch it. You realize it's happening. Even just realizing you're thinking a certain way is a huge step and being able to catch it is a huge step. So first catching it, checking it and asking yourself, is this true? Like genuinely, am I actually stupid? Or does this person actually think this thing about me? Or is that actually going to happen? And you really Ask yourself if it is true or false. And then, of course, you want to change it. So if it's not true, if it is not 100% true that that person is thinking that way about you or that you are whatever label you've put on yourself, then you need to change it. You need to reframe it. You You need to say to yourself, as much as I might feel not motivated right now, that doesn't mean I can't get this thing done. Just because this person hasn't answered me doesn't mean that they don't want to talk to me. They might just be busy. And that's when you really take the time to change the thought so you can move on quicker with your day and you don't have to sit there and overthink it and let it affect you all day. 
So that's it, guys, when it comes to the five-step process of working through your negative thought or your overthinking thought. And from here, I just want to quickly add, don't strive for perfection. No one thinks perfectly and positively 100% of the time. It's about having the tools to be able to work through the negative thoughts that we do have. Also, according to Harvard, up to 95% of cognition occurs in the subconscious mind. So that means that a lot of what we think is not going to be chosen by us. And as much as we can work on the conscious part of our brain, the unconscious has to just follow it. We can't necessarily work on the subconscious brain without working on the conscious brain, obviously. If you find that's a big struggle for you and you're always striving to become perfect, a lot of the time that's rooted in comparison, um, which then a lot of the time is rooted in things that aren't factual. So it's seeing other people's lives and scrolling on your Instagram feed and thinking that everyone has, you know, new clothes, everyone has money, everyone has these amazing relationships because you're seeing the best of everyone. And so you naturally just leave scrolling on your feed and you feel like everyone has all these things, but it's that all these different people might have some of these things and that's what's actually happening. So it's about looking as objectively as you can at the people around you and kind of having perspective of where you actually fit in all of that. Another point I would make is stop trying to control everything. So sometimes when you're overwhelmed, you just have to assess the situation and ask yourself what you can actually change about the situation. And once you've done all you can do, all you can do is leave it and move on and distract yourself in a healthy way. Obviously, yes, go and journal about what you can do. But again, once you've done that, like that's all you can do. I hope this really helps you guys to work through the thought that you chose as your example. And if you didn't really do that properly, then I would challenge you to do that now and to try doing this for anything that you've had on your mind recently. If it's, if you're listening to this for a specific reason, because you have been overthinking one specific thing, then great, do it with that thought. But if not, you can always just think of the last time that you were really overwhelmed, like, why was that? What happened? And then you can work through the five steps that we've talked about. So as a reminder, if you haven't written them down throughout and you want to write them down now, the questions are number one, what happened? Number two, what is going through your mind? Number three, what emotions are you feeling? Another thing here that I actually didn't mention is if you guys want to rate how much you're feeling that emotion, I find that can be very grounding as well. That's a prompt that they have in this journal specifically, but I actually really do like that part of number three. Then number four is what thought patterns do you recognize? Of course, that's when we look at our cognitive distortions that I've explained fully. And of course you can go, you can look up cognitive distortions. You can find them all there online. And then number five is how can you think about the situation differently? And to kind of explain that even further, what you really want to do is just picture how you ideally would answer the situation differently, how you could look at the situation differently, how you could reframe it, how you could reframe it more positively, more open-mindedly, and how you would respond to this situation if you were the best version of yourself. 
Of course, everything that I mentioned in today's podcast will be linked in the description for today's episode. I hope you guys got something out of it. I feel like this was very jam-packed with a lot of information, but also it is so helpful. I'm telling you, like I have actually had so much progress in my overall mental health journey just because of this specific method. It's very widely used across a lot of different types of therapy and I honestly just couldn't recommend it more. So I wanted to give you guys a really good like step-by-step explanation of this. If you guys enjoyed today's episode, please make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening from. Another thing you can do, which makes a huge difference for me and helps a lot more people see the show is if you go to Apple Podcasts and you rate and review the podcast. And of course, thank you to any of you that share the podcast on your Instagram stories. I love that we're able to share this information with each other and really help each other. And of course, if you want to connect or you have any questions, you can always message me over on Instagram. My Instagram is Alyssa Taylor Harper, which is linked as well in the show notes. And that is everything. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you have a lovely day. Goodbye. Goodbye.